outline. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're in need of an outline. Turn me on, turn me on. Raise your hand real high if you need an outline. Everybody raise your hand right there, out there, over here on this side. All right. All right, 25 seconds. You got 20 seconds to find your seat, amen. All right, church say amen. Church say amen. Are you ready to learn? Are you ready to study? All right, we are going to cover the whole book of Revelation in 50 minutes. Say amen. How many of y'all can listen fast? If you can't listen fast, you're going to be in trouble because I'm talking fast tonight. Amen. All right, we're going we're gonna to do our best. Somebody said it'll take 51 minutes. Who knows? I don't know, but we're going we're gonna to do what we can. Revelation chapter number one, quickly take your Bibles, turn with me there. If I say something bad, just excuse it. I'm on medicine, so it's legal. Say amen. <laughs> I've been having sinus issues and all kind of stuff, and they gave me medicine. I'm not sure what they gave me, but it's making me feel real good right now. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Revelation chapter number one, verse number one. Verse number one. The Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Say amen. amen. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your goodness to us. God, bless us now as we study you, as we study your word, as we study the truth of the gospel. God, I pray right now that you'll just honor and bless, move, and, and Lord, motivate us to become greater Christians and soul winners. Lord, we are in the last days. Truly, we are in the last days. And I pray, God, that you'll help me now. Help me to help them. Help me to help me. I pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Many people have the idea that the book of Revelation is, is primarily just so you can know about the end times, so you can know about what's going to happen in the end, uh, so forth and so on. But that's not necessarily true. It is true that there are, are things there, there are prophetic uh, writings that are there, there are things there to help us understand some things that are going to take place in the last days, that's going to take place toward the end. Uh, but the primary writing, the primary reason the book of Revelation is in existence is so that the Father can reveal to us what He wants us to know about His Son. Say Amen. The word revelation means uncovering. It means unveiling. Uh, it means to reveal something, to, to, to take away, if you will, as a canvas, a, a, a portrait that is on a, a tripod and a blanket is over it, and they take that blanket off to reveal the portrait. That's what revelation means. That's what we are reading and we're seeing in this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Revelation is the book of endings. Revelation is the consummation of it all from the beginning to the end. Say amen. Now, uh, what we're going to find out is here in chapter number 1, you'll find in verse number 19, you will find the whole book of Revelation outlined in this one verse. We're going to see what God wants us to know about his son, Jesus Christ. The very first verse says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, God the Father, gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, 
who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. He begins the letter, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and is to come and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. That's the perfect spirit of God. There's not seven different Holy Spirits. The seven represents perfection. It is the perfect spirit of God. And it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, say amen. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he says, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, that's the Jewish nation, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen, Jesus begins to speak. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it's red. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty, <coughs> excuse me, which is, is present, which was, is past, which is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is in your present, he is in your past, and he's in your future all at the same time. You say, why don't you worry about tomorrow? Because Jesus is already there. Why aren't you worried about your future? Because Jesus is already there. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's got it all under control. Say amen. He says, I am, not I'm, not I'm going to be or not I was. I am. He's very present when we need him. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He begins to tell his story, what happened to him. He was, I was on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, if you are familiar at all with the book of Revelation, you know there's a lot of typology in this book. But anytime you find typology, all you have to do to, to recognize it and understand it is to keep on reading. Anytime God gives you typology in this book, he will, he will describe it later on. Just keep reading, and I'll show you the example here. He says, I turned and saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now this is John seeing the resurrected Lord. This is John 
who would lay his head on the breast of Christ and hear his heartbeat. This is John who was the closest to uh, Jesus during his ministry here on earth. This was the same John that all the disciples said, you ask him when Jesus said there will be somebody who will, he will uh, 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 betray me. There will be somebody who will raise his hand against me. And they all went to ask him, is it me? Is it I? Is it who? Not John. John knew. But everybody went to John because John was closest to Jesus. But when John saw this vision, when he saw the resurrected Lord, the Bible says, I saw him and I fell at his feet as dead. It was such a sight. It was such an image in his mind. And he laid his hand on me and saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Now he begins to describe, he begins to describe to help John understand who he was. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. You see, John knew someone who was alive, and he died, and he came back again. Somebody say amen. amen. I am he that liveth and was dead, and am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Right there, John knew exactly who it was. Now here's the, here's the outline. Here's the outline of the whole book, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Chapter number 1, we find the things which thou hast seen. Chapters 2 and 3, the things which are. Chapters 4 through 22, the things which shall be hereafter. Now remember, remember, what is Revelation? What is the book? It's the uncovering of the Son. It is what God the Father wants you to know about his son. So number one, if we're taking notes, if you're writing notes down, uh, I, you can read the things there on the first page. We're going we're gonna to go uh, right to the outline tonight so we don't waste any time. First off, Jesus wants you to know, or God the Father wants you to know about his son. He wants you to understand the son's character. The son's character. In chapter number one, we see a vivid description a vivid vision of the resurrected Lord. You see, there are many people that have in their mind, they have in their, in their uh, uh, imagination, if you will, that, that, that Jesus is this sandal-wearing, uh, uh, meek and lowly, humble, broken and battered man that he was on this earth. You see, they have this image in their mind that he is the one who was put in that tomb and he was still, uh, and people are still carrying crosses around their neck with him on the cross. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He is the resurrected Lord. Somebody say amen. And he wants, first off, before you know anything else, he wants you to know a description, a clear description of the character of his son. You need to know who Jesus Christ is right now in the present. He is on the throne. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. Amen. I want you to write this down. First, we see a description of his appearance. A description of his appearance. This is the resurrected Lord. He's got eyes like fire, feet like brass. His hair, and it, it, listen, his head and his hair were white like wool. There's basically two descriptions in chapter number one you have of the Lord. Two different descriptions. First, a sacrificial lamb. He is described as a sacrificial lamb in verse number five. The Bible says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
That's the sacrificial lamb. That's the one that John the Baptist was speaking of when he was preaching and having revival and baptizing people in the river Jordan. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I'm glad he was the Lamb that took away my sin. I'm glad he was the substitutionary sacrifice that came so I could be forgiven, so I could be redeemed, so I could be saved. I'm glad he's a propitiation for my sin. I'm glad he went to the cross so I didn't have to thank God for the lambs amen he's the lamb he's described as the lamb but you need to understand something you need to understand something now at this moment he's not sitting as the sacrificial lamb He's sitting as the sovereign Lord. He's sitting as the judge. He came as the sacrifice. He came as the payment. He came as the substitute for the sinner. He came as a criminal. But now he's standing as the judge. Now he's standing. Hallelujah. Say amen. You see, as we know him now, we know him in grace. We know him in forgiveness. We know him in mercy. We know him in long suffering. But you got to understand something. There's coming a day when the mercy will be over, when the grace will be over, when he will stand in judgment over sin. He will stand in judgment over wickedness. God the Father has put all judgment under the Son. That's him. We see the description of his character. He is He is Lord. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is righteous. He is mighty. And the appearance was so great that even the apostle John was afraid in fear and fell at his face before him. We see the description of his appearance. But then I want you to see B. I want you to see the dwelling of his activity. The dwelling of his activity. Verse number 13. Remember when I said that any time you see typology, if you just keep reading, he will give you the definition of the typology he just gave. Chapter thir- or Verse 13 says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. Down, If we'll keep reading, down in verse number 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, or the word messenger, if you will. I believe he's referring to the pastors of these churches, the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the candlesticks represented the church. Now, what's the point? The point is this. Jesus is in the midst of his church. When he is described here, when he is saw here, the Bible says, I turned and in the midst of of the church where is he going to be he's going to be in the church now i'm not talking necessarily about this building i'm talking about the body of christ where will you find the groom wherever you find the bride amen I've heard people say, I don't have to go to church. If Jesus was here, he'd be out in the street. Now, I know there's a little bit of truth to some of that, but you got to understand something. We already know where he is because this chapter says he's in the church. He's going to be with the church where two or three are gathered in my name. There in the midst I am. I want you to know, don't neglect the, listen, the, 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 the gathering of yourself together. Why? Because that's where he's going to be. I don't want to miss church. I don't want to skip church. I don't want to lay out of church. People are going to hear about this Revelation study. They're going to say, man, I wish I was there. That's why you never should miss. 
You don't never know what's going to happen. You don't never know. Listen, I want to be where he is. He's dwelling in the church. The greatest memories of my life has been in the church. The greatest friends I have is in the church. The greatest experiences and the greatest power I've ever felt in my life, the greatest deliverances I've ever had in my life has been in the church because that's where you'll find Jesus. We see his dwelling. I'm glad he hangs out in the church. I'm glad he hangs out with the church. I'm glad he manifests himself in the midst of the church. (laughs) I'm having a good time. I don't know about y'all. The description of his appearance, the dwelling of his activity, we find this in verse 13 and verse 20. But then I want you to see this, the directing of his agenda. The directing of his agenda, verse number 16. And verse number 20. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Seven stars. Now what are the seven stars? Let's go find out. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now the word angels there is is translated messengers. Or I believe pastors. I believe he's in reference to to the pastors of these seven churches. What's the point? They're in his hand. The hand, it represents, the right hand represents authority. It represents divine direction. Now, here's the thing. You wonder, how in the world does that preacher know what to preach on when he preaches it? Because he's being divinely directed by the hand of the Savior. Say amen. Well, how does he know what I need? Because he's dwelling in the church. Amen. Wherever you go, he goes. Wherever you stay, he stays. He hears what you hear. He sees what you see. And he knows what we need. Well, I tell you, I think I need to straighten the preacher out. He's got it. He's got it covered. He's got it covered. You see... We're going to learn in a few moments. We're going to learn in a few moments. We're in the Laodicean church age. Laodicea, you break the word down, it means lay, laity. Laity, the people. Decea, which means rule, people rule. You know what's wrong with the church today? There's too many people ruling in the church. Now, I'm not for dictatorship. I'm not about dictatorship. I get a lot of counsel before we do anything. But I'm telling you what, if Christ is not directing the agenda of the church, if the people have their own agenda, if the people have their own plans, if they treat it like it's a social club, I promise you the power of God is not going to be in it. He's directing his agenda. Jesus knows what his church needs. He knows what his plan is. He knows what his desire is. He knows what the goal is. He knows what mission he is on. And he's directing those messengers as he sees fit. Say amen. We see his character revealed. He's powerful. He's mighty. You know, it always irritates me when they talk about the old man upstairs. And they got, this, they got this picture of God with this long white beard and frail and feeble and weak. And I, I, I don't know if you've read this description or not, but there's nothing feeble about it. A voice that thunders. Listen, eyes with fire, feet with brass. Listen, which represents judgment. And it's coming, ladies and gentlemen, it's coming. Amen. Chapter 1. 
Chapter 1 is the description of his son, the, the, the character of his son. We see a vivid description. And it's really important. It's really important that you, you get this description and, and the total description given all, all through the chapter number 1 because you'll find out as we go into chapters 2 and 3 that in each letter, in each letter that is written to those seven churches, there is a different part of his description given out of chapter 1 in every one of those letters. All seven letters, there is a different part, there is a different description that he gives in chapter number 1 that you'll find in every one of those letters. And the reason those descriptions are given is so that they will understand the need for that particular church, he can meet it. In other words, in other words, the way he's described in chapter number 1 will fit the need of each individual church in chapters 2 and 3. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Say amen. I know I got to talk fast, but y'all got to listen because I've been challenged. They said I couldn't. Say amen. Now, chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3. You remember? Chapter 1, we find the character of his son. God is revealing to mankind the character of his son. Number 2, God wants to reveal to mankind the son's church. Not the son's character, but the son's church. The church is described here. In chapters 2 and 3, we find seven different letters, seven specific personal letters that are written to seven individual churches in that particular day. Are you with me? Say amen. I'm not going to go read it because it would be too much reading, but I want you to go read them. They're individual letters that are written. Individual letters that are written. Now, at the beginning of every single letter, every one of them, at the, at the beginning of every single letter in chapters 2 and 3, you will find a phrase. And in that phrase, Jesus says, I know thy works. I know thy works. You say, how does he know our works? Because he's walking up and down in the pews. Where do are y'all, come, y'all, y'all got to get with me? Where do we find him in chapter 1? In the midst of the church. That's how he knows our works. That's how he knows our needs. That's how he knows what we need to hear when we get here. Does that make sense? So in the introduction of every letter, all seven letters in chapters 2 and 3, he says, I know thy works. So here's what I want you to write down in your notes. First off. In these, in these seven letters, in chapters 2 and 3, we find three basic things that we need to understand. First, there is practical help. Write that down. There is practical help. I know thy works. In other words, in that specific time, at that specific place, he's writing these letters to those churches because they have issues that are personal, they have issues that are specific, And they have issues that are pertinent at that particular time in history. But you will find out as you study all seven of them that those same issues, we have churches dealing with them today. For instance, for instance, the church of Ephesus, the very first letter, he said, he said, I I, I know thy works, how thou hast labored and and art patient and you're not putting up with sin. He said, you're working very hard and and you're, you're doing everything it seems to be right. He said, but I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. Are y'all with me? 
What that means is you used to do it because you wanted to do it. You used to serve because you appreciated me. You used to do it out of love, but now you're doing it out of obligation. Now you're doing it because nobody else will. Now you're doing it because you're supposed to. You think anybody's like that today? Serving because nobody else will. Serving because it's supposed to be done. Coming to church because that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday. Not coming to church out of adoration. Not coming to church out of appreciation. Not coming to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just to stay in a traditional stupor and listen, stay in a rut in their life. He says, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do thy first works. Or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. Unless thou, Are y'all with me? There was a specific problem. There was a specific need. There was a specific situation. And he gave them the he. I'm, I, listen, Jesus is not like most fundamental preachers. Most preachers I was under growing up, especially evangelists, because evangelists were like, they'd like gun you down and leave town. I don't think anybody should be an evangelist without having the pastor five years minimum. Because it would change the way they treat people when they come to town. Am I right, Brother Jeff? They'll come in, and they don't under, listen, they'll destroy, they'll cut, they'll be mean and everything else, and then that pastor has to patch everything up after they leave. But Jesus was never that way. He will be straight with you. He will be honest with you. He will be right in your face and say, this is the problem. But he will always follow up the problem with the prescription. He will always tell us how to fix it and how to make it happen. Thank God for the blessings of God. In every one, every church, there was practical help. Every single letter, there was practical help. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what you're doing right. This is how to fix it. Let's get it done. Say amen. Every letter, every single one, there was practical help. And thank God for the practical help in his word. I know thy works. I know what you need. I know where you're at. Oh, every one. Then B, this is going to be good right here. Boy, I really want, I had so much stuff to go with this, and more I wrote, I said, man, I'm, 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 I'm skirting my 50 minutes right here. This is going, I want you to see the prophetic history. The prophetic history we find in these seven letters. R.H. <clears throat> Clayton said this, it can be no mere coincidence that these epistles do set out the salient characteristics of the church through the centuries, and no one can deny that they are presented in historic sequence. In other words, God supernaturally laid out in seven letters the seven different periods of time in church history. From, from the beginning of the church all the way till its shameful end, we find in these seven letters. And they are in perfect sequence. In other words, you can take the seven letters that are given in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation and compare it to secular history books and they match up perfectly. Let's describe them. The first church is Ephesus. This represents the apostolic church. This represents the early church. This represents the church of Peter and Paul. This represents a time of evangelistic fervor. Uh, this is uh, dated approximately. These dates are approximate. Uh, between Pentecost and 160 A.D. This is a time when the early church was on the move. And most of the book of Acts you will find here in this period of time. This is the apostolic church or the foundation church. Then we find 
the persecuted church. The persecuted church, the church of Smyrna. The next letter in, in sequence. This is from 161 A.D. to 312 A.D. This is when the church endured great, great persecution. Uh, uh, the Bible says they will be persecuted 10 days in this letter. Uh, uh, some speculate 10 years of a certain emperor. Some believe it was the 10 different uh, emperors that were there in Rome that persecuted Christians. They are estimated 5 million Christians died during this period of time. 5 million were martyred. 5 million lost their lives during this time. You see, the devil, he came against the church in the most incredible way. He came against the church and he tried to destroy it. He tried to ravage it. He tried to damage it. He tried to obliterate it. But he found out the more he persecuted the church, the more they grew. It was the same thing that Pharaoh found out in Egypt, that the more he persecuted the Jewish nation, the more they multiplied and the more God blessed them. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. When the devil raises his hand against the church, the church is thinking they're dying, but God's blessing them the whole time. And the church grew by leaps and bounds. I, I got a modern-day illustration. I remember one particular summer at my church, the air conditioner went out, and we had to raise the windows in the church, and it was hotter than blue blazes in there. I remember it to this day. And, and we couldn't afford to put in a, a, a new air conditioner system, so we put in ceiling fans, and it would be hot every Sunday. And the church grew more that summer than any time in the church's history. Persecution. The church we find the persecuted church, Smyrna. They were burned at the stake. They were, they were fed to hungry lions in, in stadiums being mocked by people. The persecuted church period of Smyrna. Then we find between 313 A.D. and 600 A.D., we find the mixed church or the church of Pergamos. Pergamum means mixture or marriage. This is when Constantine came to power. He came to power and began to mix the church with the world. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, that should have never happened. Constantine made it made it popular, made it popular to be a Christian. Jesus said, you will suffer for my name. But he made it popular to be a Christian. They had the support of the government then, and it was a it was a fad. Christianity became a fad, and that that started that started the decline of the church in the world. The decline of spiritual fervor, decline of spiritual power. We find this church was a mixed church, mixing government and church, mixing uh, the world and the church together, a mixed multitude, if you will. Then we find the church of Thyatira, 600 A.D. to 1516 A.D. This is the papal church. The Roman Catholic church came into being. This is referred to as the Dark Ages. Listen, paganism started creeping into the church during the Pergamum time, but then it became its heyday during the papal church period. Now, even through all of this, you've got to understand, God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. Uh, the church, as it, when I'm representing this here, and I'm, I'm telling you about these different church ages, there was still a group of faithful people all the way through it. Even when Elijah thought he was the only one. Elijah said, I'm the only one that's serving you. God said, oh, no, I got mine. I got mine. I got mine. Say amen. Then we find the Reformed church period. 
This is the time of Martin Luther. Uh, the word Sardis means coming out or escaping ones. Uh, uh, listen, uh, the Reformed Church coming out of Catholicism, coming out of, of the dark ages and, and really wanting to get to the place where it was God's word and God's word only. Say amen. And everybody wants to celebrate that, and that's great. And I'm glad that that took place, but the problem was they didn't come out far enough. And, and listen, they become state churches. They become state churches. And when you have a state church, that puts everybody, that puts everybody in membership. The only problem with that is if you're not converted, you're not a member of the church. Are y'all with me? And I wish I, had, I wish I could go into that, but I can't for sake of time. But that was the reform church period. It was still cold. And by the way, if you read the letter, he said it's twice dead. Then we, find, then we find the next church period. This is the good one. This is the Philadelphian church age from 1750 A.D. to 1950 A.D. This is the missionary church period. <clears throat> now, I had the honor and the privilege to go to a Christian school. Uh, uh, the biggest majority of my schooling career, uh, I went to a Christian school. And we had the opportunity to learn about this period of time. And many people have never been able to learn about uh, the Wesley brothers. They never were able to learn about D.L. Moody. And uh, they were never able to learn about Adoniram Judson and, 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 and William Carey and, and the great missionaries and, and, and the men of God who God brought forth during this Philadelphian church age. If you describe it and read the letter, he says, I have placed before you an open door, an open door of evangelism, an open door of spiritual fervor. And there was revivals like never before. George Whitfield preaching the power of God down. Iris Sankey preaching, people that would come. I mean, men of God would walk through factories and whole factories would fall on their knees in conviction because of the power of God. Billy Sunday in the sawdust trail. Now, all these men had issues, and all these men were not perfect, but they were working in a time when God's power and God, listen, the hand of God was moving across the world. The great revivals in America, the great revivals in Wales, the great revivals, and listen, in, 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 in the United Kingdom, God had placed before them an open door. But sadly, we find ourselves in the Laodicean church age. Listen, that is, that is from about 1950 to where we are today. Nobody can dispute, nobody can dispute the evidence that's seen in our country of the decline of spiritual fervor beginning in basically around the 1950s and 1960s. We can, we, can blame it, we can blame it on technology. We can blame it on, well, people's got a lot more they can do now. But during the, the Philadelphian church age, they would have, have two-week revivals. We can't stand three days. I'm talking about, and you are nobody if you didn't show up. Preaching all night long. I place before you an open door. But sadly, we find in the Laodicean church letter, he says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. Now, the only reason you'd be knocking the door if you was on the other side of it. Y'all with me? 
And I, I believe, I believe there are a lot of people that here, here's here's can I be real just a minute? Just a minute. I only got a minute because I got man, I got plenty of time. What am I rushing for? Amen. We have great people who are stuck in time. You 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 look at some of the Mennonite people, some of the Amish people, who have chosen a period of time in the whole timeline of history. And they've picked this particular time in the timeline and said this is the only time when people were right with God. So whatever went on during that period of time, whatever songs were sung, whatever method of ministry was used, Whatever went on during that time or was allowed in that time, whether it was horseback riding or a coal lantern and not electricity, this is the only time when you are right with God. If you do anything outside of that time period, then it's modernism and it's worldly, whether it's electricity or whether it's driving cars. Are y'all with me? Now, I'm using an extreme view, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, today in our movement, in many of the Baptist circles, there's people that's picked out their time. And it was the 1950s to the 1970s. And the only methods that were used during that period of time, that's the only ones right. That's the only songs that were right. That's the only songs that God loves. Listen, that's the only ones that, that had the anointing on them because they were during that period of time. The only methods that were used that are right with God during that period of time and if you try to do anything different, you try to do anything different, you're worldly. If you do anything outside of that block of time, then you're a compromiser. If you do anything outside of that block of time, then you are labeled a compromising liberal. Now watch, here's the problem with that. Now, I don't have no issue with that. I don't have no issue. You want to ride a horse and buggy to church with frost on your eyebrows? That's fine with me. And if, 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 if all you ever want to sing is out of a Red Book hymnal, that's cool too. I like, I like those songs. But don't label somebody else and demonize somebody else. Are you all with me? Now, let me, let me give you a hint. Let me give you a hint why this is a problem to stay hung up over here. When you get hung up in this period of time, you're trying to operate. Mm, you're trying to operate a method of ministry that was developed and used during an open door. The Philadelphian Church age, there was an open door. I'm talking about. I'm talking about. You could just say, Jesus saves, and hundreds would get saved because it was the time of the open door. But now we're in a different time. And we have people that are so hung up in that period of time, and they're so frustrated because they keep trying to use the same methods that were developed during the open door, during the closed door time, and they're so frustrated because it's not working for them. So anybody that steps outside 
of that ministry style or method is automatically labeled. Even though you have no Bible to back up your opinion. Now, here's my point. We need to understand where we are. We need to understand the time that we're living in. You say, preacher, we're in the Laodicean church age. We might as well just quit. No, 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 no. Because of C. We find in these letters a practical help, a prophetic history, and a promising hope. Do you realize you can have a Philadelphia church in a Laodicean age? Let me say it again. Y'all miss a good shouting part right there. Let me run it by you again. I went fast and you missed it completely. You can have a Philadelphian church, a, a church on fire, a church with excitement, a church that's motivated, a church that cares about souls more than they care about tradition. A church, oh, yeah, y'all getting it now? Y'all getting it? A church that loves Jesus, a church that, it, hey, hey, I'm feeling it, amen. We can have that kind of church in a Laodicean age. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. You say, how do you know that? Because he said, I stand at the door and knock. It don't matter what that church down the street's doing, he's still a-knocking. It doesn't matter what the age is. It doesn't matter what the atmosphere is. It doesn't matter what the temperature is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Jesus is at the door and knock. And he said, if any man will hear my voice and open up, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. You say, how do you have a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean age? All you got to do is hear his voice and open the door. Because wherever Jesus shows up, all he's got to do is let it get noised abroad that Jesus is in the house. Mark chapter number 2 says when it was noised abroad that he was in the house. There was so many gathered together, you couldn't even get them in the door. You want to start a building program? Get Jesus in the house. You want to see people helped and, listen, hope brought back again? Get Jesus in the house. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to take another pill before church is over. Amen. Amen. Edit that last part right there, Brother Chris. Amen. Just get Jesus in the house. You don't need gimmicks. You, 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 don't, need, you, you don't need gimmicks. You don't need, just get, just get him in the house. Listen, when Jesus is in the house, they'll be hurting people. You'll look around and there'll be weird looking folk. There'll be people that look different. And if you don't have people looking different in your church, you ain't doing our job. When Jesus is in the house, they come hurting people. When Jesus is in the house, there's helping people. And four old boys brought that man crippled on that bed. Oh, when Jesus is in the house, you'll want to help hurting people. You know what's wrong with these stinking churches? They ain't helping hurting people. All they want to help is themselves. Listen, we got to get our eyes off our own desires and our own wants and our own preferences and start helping hurting people. 
Because when these helping people start helping these hurting people, these hurting people get help, then I tell you what, we're all going to be happy people. Amen. That's a commercial. Amen. Look here. Look here. Promising hope. He's still alive. Man, I, I see a missionary called me the other day. And people canceling him and dropping him and everything. He said, it's just the last days. He said, how are y'all doing? I said, you got a minute? <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Listen, it don't have to. Be. I know we're there. I know that's happening. I know churches. Are, I'm talking about churches that were on fire that had people getting saved regular. Not even in existence. But it don't have to be that way. It don't have to be that way. Listen, number three. Ah, 16 minutes, I got it. <laughs> Listen, the end of Laodicean church age, where we're at right now, where we're at right now. At the end of chapter three, we find the beginning of chapter four. Chapter 4, we find the very first verse. He said, I heard a voice behind me as it were a trumpet talking to me saying, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. In, the, in Revelation 1, 19, he said, write the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. Write the things which are. That's the present day. That's chapters 2 and 3. That's the church age. We are in the church age. Chapters 4 through 22, the things which shall be, that's future. Are y'all with me? He says, he says, he says, I heard a voice as it were a trumpet. Now, what we do is compare chapter with chapter, verse with verse, uh, Bible with Bible. Now, some of y'all may not believe this. There's some pre-tribs and post-tribs and mid-tribs. It don't matter what you, this is, I'm preaching tonight, so I'm going to do what I think. Amen? I'm, 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 I'm a pre-tribber. I believe I believe we're gonna go out before it starts. Amen. I, I believe this is my. I believe Revelation four one represents the, the 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 rapture of the church. We we compare First Thessalonians four sixteen, which says, "I, I uh, 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 the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with them in the clouds." I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe before the Antichrist can step forward, the church will be raptured, will be caught up together. We will meet the Lord in the air. Somebody say amen. Listen, chapter 1, we find God is revealing the Son's character. Chapters 2 and 3, we find God is revealing the Son's church. Uh, chapters 4 through 22, we find God the Father is revealing the Son's coming. The Son's coming. From Genesis, from Genesis to Matthew... God promised the very first promise to Eve, said your seed is going to crush the head of Satan. And that from that time on, every chapter, every verse represents he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Listen, the whole Bible is the theme. Jesus is the theme of the whole Bible. He's the truth of the whole Bible. He's the treasure of the whole Bible. And from Genesis, listen, Genesis all the way to Matthew, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. They're 
there's coming a Messiah. There's coming the bomb in Gilead. There's go- Somebody say amen. There's coming one. Hey, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then we find that, listen, the angels declared the shepherds on the side of a hill, said, Behold, I declare unto you, he's here, he's here, he's here. We've got good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know what they were saying? He's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. The one that's been promised, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the sacrifice. He's here, he's here, he's here. Jesus lived 33 and a third years upon this earth. He did what his father told him to do. He completely fulfilled the will of his father. He died for my sin and for your sin. He glorified the father in everything that he did. In Acts chapter number 1, we find that he's walking with his disciples. He steps on a cloud and says, glory please. And he shoots up to glory and goes back and be with his father. And they stand there gazing in amazement. Can't believe what they saw. And the angels came back to him and said, why stand? ye gazing up into heaven. This same one that left here, he's going to come back in same manner. You know what he's saying? He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. And from Acts chapter number 1 all the way to Revelation, it's he's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. I know they said that his promises won't come to pass. I know there's skeptics and I know there's critics, but I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. The world denies it. The world cries against it, but he's coming again. One day, that cloud is going to split. One day, the eastern sky, I'm telling you, I feel God in this place tonight. I'm telling you, he's coming again. He's coming again. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Say amen. Hallelujah. Listen, A, A, 11 minutes, amen. 11 minutes. A, he's coming to receive. He's coming to receive. The Bible says in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Receive. He's coming to receive. That doesn't mean to fetch. If you look up the word receive, that word means to associate oneself with. There's people that see me in Walmart. They would see my suit on Sunday and my overalls on Monday. And they're usually well ventilated. I've said hey to people in Walmart. Had a three-day-old beard, old ball cap with holes in it, and my overalls. Hey! And they. <laughs> you know, they, they some people that won't associate with me. I'm not high class enough for them. But the king of kings. <laughs> the king of kings and the Lord of lords has promised to come. And receive, come to associate himself with me. He said, where I am, there ye may be also. And I'm going to leave this world saying, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. I don't deserve it, but I'm glad I'm with him. 
He's coming to receive. He's going to come and take his children home. We've, we've not been destined to wrath. God's going to come and take his children home. Chapters 4 and 5 is an awesome, awesome books of the Bible. We see the scene in heaven right after the rapture takes place. There's a throne that's glorious. There's, there's listen, thrones, little miniature thrones around the throne. It is, a, it is a worship experience like none other. We see a new song is being sung. Listen, chapter 4, we find a declaration come up hither. We find a door. That is an opportunity from here to yonder. Say amen. Not only is there a declaration and there's a door, bless God, there's a departure. Say amen. And here we are in the throne room. Here we are surrounded by the glory of God. Here we are in the presence of the one who died for our sin, who came and gave his life so we could be forgiven. We cast our crowns before his feet. Listen, listen, we are there glorifying him. We are there singing a loud song. The Bible says in Revelation 4, 11, it said, Thou art worthy, for thou hast created all things, and all things were created for thy pleasure. They are and were created. What is the old song? The old song is he's worthy because he made us. He's worthy because he's the creator. He's worthy because he is our maker. But there's a new song that's being sung in Revelation chapter number 5. It says, Thou art worthy because thou hast redeemed us unto God by thy own blood out of every kindred nation and tongue he's not only worthy because he made us he's worthy because he saved us I'm glad I've got a new song I'm glad and listen the psalmist said I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry and he listen he, he oh hallelujah he came to where I was he came into that pit and brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of miry clay and he set my foot on a rock he established my goings and put a new song in my mouth what is that new song? I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I am redeemed. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood. Lose all their guilt. We're singing a new song. We're glorifying, we're magnifying, we're worshiping in his presence. Chapters 4 and 5 is the scene in heaven right after the rapture. Chapters 6 forward through 19 is the scene taking place on earth. As glorious as the scene is in heaven, it will be that horrific on earth. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying you need to go out in the first trip. The opening of the seals, listen, releases the judgment of God on this planet. Oh, we're seeing terrible times. No, we ain't saw nothing yet. Man's going to be judged and destroyed by warfare, by weather, and by wildlife. 
Literally, the wildlife on this planet is going to turn against man. It's all there. Read it. A third of the population of the planet will be destroyed. A third of the vegetation will be destroyed. A third of the water will be destroyed. Judgment like we've never, we can't even fathom what it's going to be like. But you see, the son's coming. He's coming to receive his bride and to take us to be where he is. And after the rapture of the church, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. There's going to be three and a half years of tribulation, then three and a half years of great tribulation, where God is judging man. And God is judging this earth. And God is going to take back what the devil stole. In Revelation chapter 5, we find a scroll. Some scholars believe it's the title deed to the earth that Adam once had in his possession and fell in sin and lost it to the devil. The devil is the God of this world. This is his kingdom. But Jesus is taking it back. He's coming to receive, then B, he's coming to remove. There's going to be some things removed during this period of time. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, each one extending out of the other. Three different series of sevens, three different series of judgments falling upon this earth. And, 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 and if we had time to go in it, I, I would love for you to see the mercy of God in these judgments. Because God, even in His judgment, is showing mercy, wanting them to turn back to Him. But you will find that the depravity of man is so great that even under such great judgment, they refuse and rebel against the one who made them. Seven years. Seven years of judgment. Seven years of hell on earth. Seven years of God unleashing untold horrific judgment upon a wicked mankind. At the end of the seven years, Revelation 19, the Bible teaches us that Jesus comes back. Not in the air to take us home, but to this earth to rule and to reign. It is then that we have, it is then that we have the Armageddon that's being uh, talked about and written about. It is then that Jesus comes and destroys the enemy and the Antichrist. With a sword, the word of his mouth. Say amen. The Bible says the blood in that valley will be up to the horse's bit. He's coming to remove. A few things he's going to remove. He's going to remove sin. He's going to remove Satan. And he's going to remove sadness. Church, say amen. The Bible says, the Bible says in chapters 22, verse 3, there will be no more curse. Chapters 21, verse 4, says there'll be no more sorrow. Verse 4 says there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears. 
He's coming to remove. <laughs> if he removes the tears, he's got to remove what causes them. Lastly, minute and 43. He's coming to restore. He's coming to receive. He's coming to remove. He's coming to restore. Chapter 21 verse 5 says, I make all things new. New. Little, little, 15 seconds. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Revelation is the book of endings. In Genesis we find the commencement of heaven and earth. In Revelation the consummation of heaven and earth. In Genesis, we find the entrance of sin and the curse. In Revelation, the end of sin and the curse. In Genesis, we find the dawn of Satan and his activities. In Revelation, we find the doom of Satan and his activities. In Genesis, we find the tree of life is relinquished. It's given up. In Revelation, we find the tree of life is regained. In Genesis, death makes an entrance. In Revelation, death makes an exit. In Genesis, sorrow begins, and in Revelation, sorrow is banished. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Write the things which thou hast seen, chapter 1. Write the things which are, chapters 2 and 3. Write the things which shall be hereafter, chapters 4 through 22. I'm glad he's in charge. And all God's people said, Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, bless everyone as they go home. Amen. Good night, everybody.